When life happens in the sense of things get very hectic or things are going south, um, overwhelming, stress pulled in different directions, I go to certain spiritual disciplines like reading the word, reading all together, and getting in a contemplative posture of prayer. And I like to do it outdoors. When I stay inside, the spaces feel smaller to me and the problems appear bigger. So when I go outside, I'm fully present. The problems are still with me. But as I look around and I look at the sky and I think of how sky is the limit and I see the beauty of creation and all of its wonder, it helps me to reorient myself, maybe to regain perspective that God is also in the midst and God's presence is just as powerful or actually much more powerful and active and enveloping us. And then I think about how the world is in God's hands. So as I think about the last two weeks, maybe like you, it's been two bad weeks. It's been tough to watch the news. It's been tough to see the social media. It's been really rough. The division um, that can actually even surface amongst us in the church based on the views and what angle we're taking, it's been very difficult for all of us. So I wanted to bring an exhortation this morning outside so that maybe you can share with me something that I have been doing a lot more of because of what is at hand. And I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, which means that we really need to profoundly seek the Lord. So as I've been doing that, I've been thinking about personal experiences over the years that have um, really tested my faith and it's been difficult, but we have persevered or I have persevered with my family. And I wanna share with you how in 2006, we welcomed our first daughter, Isabel, right before our nation faced some sort of financial recession in 2007 and 2008. I was a youth pastor, David was working, and we had to do adjustments and we were being very cautious, but we didn't get hit in a very drastic or personal way until 2009. August 3rd, I think it was a Tuesday or a Monday, David goes to work as usual in the morning and shortly after he gets to the office, he calls me on the cell phone, he's whispering, I'm still at the house with Isa as a toddler. And he says to me, whispering, something is going down, I've been told to go into a conference room, wait there with a few of my colleagues, the law enforcement is here, FBI is here, and it's chaos and they don't know what's going on. I turn on the news, live footage. There's a raid happening in that company. By 1 p.m., David gets an email, like all the other employees, as they're sitting there in a lock-in kind of form. And they are told through this email that the company has been shut down because it was a scam all along and it was a fraud. And 2,000 employees were laid off that day and thousands of more people lost their homes, their mortgages, their savings, their retirement, and it really hit home for us. 
By 2009, we had just decided that it was time for me to respond to a calling that God was nudging me into ordination, into the ministry, which meant I had to go back to school and seminary. So as you can imagine, we're making decisions, we put it on the table, we take them off the table, we put them back on the table, we're praying, we're seeking discernment, we're asking our parents what to do. And it's that conviction and that faith of let's trust God, let's be cautious, let's use reason, but let's remain faithful. Fast forward, by 2011, David is yet to land the kind of work that uh, qualified or, or was what he expected and had been working for for so long. But by 2011, he found a job in the state of Georgia. By then, I am traveling to Orlando twice a week. We are going to my parents' and his parents' house to use their electric bill and their laundry and their food. Again, we are adjusting. I move out of our house. We put it up for rent to alleviate that as David goes to Georgia and I move in with my parents. And it was very hard. It was something that I never thought as a self-sufficient person, very determined person, a family, a couple, that we, we, we try to do everything right. It was just very hard. And before you know it, in 2011, the fall, Isabel is ready to go to kindergarten. And for David and I, as new parents, the dream, as many perhaps for you, is that we are to go and take our kid on their first day of school, wearing the backpack that it's much bigger than herself with nothing in it, but we are just thrilled. And the dreams that we have for our kids, we just want to share it with that in that moment. Except for us, David wasn't going to be with us. I was sad, but we knew we were going to be okay, but we were grieving that. And he was grieving that as a father. So on the big day, the first day of school, to my surprise, the doorbell rings my parents' house. David drove six, seven hours from Georgia to take his daughter to his, her first day of school. He showed up. And what drove him to do that was a conviction of, I believe, what the role of a father for him meant that day. And I share that to say to you, not just to brag, although I'm very proud of my husband for that, but hear me on this. I don't want to share this just because it's my husband. I want to share this as a person who saw Christ through, in my case, through David. A person who follows Jesus and seeks to be a better father by following Jesus. And that comes with a cost and that is hard and that is sacrificial. And it worked out in a way that he wasn't irresponsible with, with work. He had to do a whole lot of adjustments. But when God made a way, the way I see it is, David responded and he showed up. And the whole first day of school didn't take more than 30 minutes. And then he drove back to Georgia. And that kind of sacrificial peace is what I want to talk to all of you. And I want to give a word of encouragement and I want to give a word of, that stretches the faith of you fathers. 
fathers-to-be. And I believe it can resonate with all of us, all ages, men and women. And I want to share this as we are going through difficult times. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And what does it say about our conviction in whom we believe? So I want to take you to Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. This is after Jesus started to invite the first disciples to follow him. And he's done a few healings already. So we get to verse 27. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him and his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Everyone saw the sinner. That's Levi. Jesus saw the sinner in him. As a tax collector, they were considered traitors. They exploited people for money. And Jesus shows the way of forgiveness. And Jesus shows how the medicine for brokenness and sin is salvation. So Jesus shows up and shows that to Levi and shows that to all the witnesses. And then Levi shows up as well. He responds and he says, I will leave all behind, whatever that may be, which in this case meant I will leave my old vocation, my old way of doing the vocation, and I'm going to follow Jesus. And people were so stunned by this. He didn't abandon responsibilities. He didn't abandon a family. And then if you may recall what I just read, he invited Jesus to his house for a banquet. And he invited all of his colleagues. A lot of traitors were around the table. And the Pharisees were grumbling, wondering why would a rabbi of the law, holy as Jesus was, why would he sit with traitors? Because Jesus came to confront sin. And Jesus came to do that by comforting the sinner and bringing truth and bringing the healing of their brokenness, and that is salvation. And the call for Jesus, the call to Jesus in Levi's case was to respond, was to leave behind, was to prioritize his relationship and a way of living and put it at the top. When we are living difficult situations, how do you see God show up? How do you see Jesus show up? And then I want to ask you, through whom will Jesus show up? Fathers, 
How is Jesus showing up through you? How are you revealing to your children in a very authentic way how God is working in your life? Not so much or only how God should be working in their lives, but how is God working in your life? And all of us, through whom can Jesus work through so that we can be vessels of healing through such difficult times? Wasn't it hard enough, do you think, for, for Levi to learn new ways of living and unlearn negative ways, painful ways, broken system kind of ways? There's a cost to it. There's an ownership. There's a commitment to that process. And Levi did that. And not only did he did or begin that process, he invited his friends, right? The traders. Why did Levi do that? Think about when you have, a, when you want to recommend a good doctor, when you experience a good trainer, a good hairstylist, a good school for your kids, don't you run and recommend it? Aren't you glad that when people ask, where did you get that? Or who do you use? Or who's helping you? And who's your doctor? Aren't you proud of saying their name? And you even go out of your way and show them and send them an email or contact information. What about when we have to recommend courageously, but we have to recommend that we need Jesus? Who can God use through this time so that we can recommend the antidote for the pain and the suffering? When we face a really big problem, deep cuts, brokenness and sin, despair and anger, how will that recommendation of needing Jesus, how are we going to communicate that? Is it through an accusatory rhetoric? Is it condemnation the way the Pharisees did that? Or is it the way that Jesus fulfilled his ministry on earth? Levi sought to bring a good message to his friends because he realized who Jesus was. Fathers and everyone, when was the last time you spoke about Jesus to someone that you were not sure knew Jesus? When was the last time you actually shared about your story of how Jesus has helped you along the way? When was the last time that you showed up for someone who needed to gain perspective that everything will be okay. It's just going to be a very hard journey. Jesus sat in the middle of the table and he connected with those tax collectors and we don't know the, the outcome of that meeting. But I want to point out how the Pharisees wanted to make a point of separation. Why are you sitting with them? As if they're saying you shouldn't be sitting with them. And Jesus sat with them and offered an invitation to salvation. The taxation system back then was very flawed. And Jesus talked about the flaws 
in the systems many times in numerous ways. The code of the religious laws was flawed as well. And Jesus spoke of that many times. He said, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is to be lived here on earth as it is in heaven. And so I ask, through whom are we going to do that? Jesus talked about the reign and the law that fulfills the, the, the earthly law. Um, love, generosity, empathy, compassion, forgiveness. And he said, those are not in the law, but those are part of my ruling. So Jesus did challenge. He didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. So I don't come to you with a political agenda because I don't need to do that. Jesus already makes it difficult for us to need to grapple with it. And I encourage you this morning to get out of any box and have some deep thought. And it's costly and it's difficult. But we need to be the vessels through whom Jesus speaks to our nation and to our communities. We need to be willing to evaluate what we have learned, what we have believed over the years. We need to understand that freedom in Christ liberates, brings order and grace. We can undermine grace with law and we can abuse law without grace. So for families, for fathers, and for everyone, I ask you to think of how we can be together a beacon of hope. I will go ahead and say, you're needed. The world needs a church that will rise and be a word of hope. Matthew 16 if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their lives and their preferences over Jesus will lose their life. And those who lose their life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. You see, that is law and that is grace and that is freedom at its best. So I invite you to ask Jesus, how can you follow Jesus in an applicable, powerful way today? Fathers, do some self-checking. How can you show Jesus to your children?